Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. What is going? What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Nosebleeds WFUV's Major League Baseball Podcast, along with Tyler Hugh and Sebastian Seabach. I'm Colin Locker, and gentlemen, this is our last Nosebleeds of the year. We have a World Series champion officially. It is the Houston Astros. Much to everyone's chagrin, I do suppose, they won a six-game series really in the type of fashion that we kind of expected. Fell behind early, got hot late. Jeremy Pena really helped them out. He brought home MVP honors for the Strohs. Big offseason, going to start very soon. It's already started in some respects. Here in Queens, we'll get into that. But before we really dig in for the final time this year, Tyler, how you doing today, my friend? I'm doing pretty well, Colin. I um, hope you're doing well. Um, and, I mean, weather's really, really bad right now. It's pouring rain. Got a nice haircut for the first time in God knows when. First time I've gotten a haircut since the Yankees won a World Series. But, you know, I'm doing great. It's good to be back here for the final episode of Nosebleed. It's kind of bittersweet feeling, kind of sad. But I'm always. it's always good to be back in the studio with you guys. Sebastian, how are we doing, my friend? I know this World Series might not have been the matchup anyone wanted to see between Philly and those throws. Of course, got interesting there for a moment, but overall, probably the outcome we expected once the two teams were decided. I'm doing well, Con. I mean, obviously, like, baseball season's been over for about a week now, and it's like the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies. It's just like, ah, Whatever the Yankees were out, they got embarrassed. I didn't. I didn't really care anymore at that point. Who who won? I think you know, the Astros came out and played a great series. So it's just like congrats to them. It was probably legit, maybe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm living the off season as a Yankees fan. And that off season really got off to a tumultuous start for the Astros. I don't know if I've ever seen this happen before. Maybe you guys uh, remember a similar situation. I frankly can't. The Astros fired their assistant GM, Scott Powers, along with their actual GM, James Quick, after winning the World Series. I I mean, I I like to think of a philosophy, if it ain't broke, you you don't fix it. But in this case, it looks like Astros ownership, Mr. Crane, they think there's things to fix. And I I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously that franchise is a bit of a mess right now has been since 2017 with a lot of the ins and outs going on. But I don't uh, quite understand the timing. Baker gets his World Series. They legitimize in a lot of ways what they've been about for the last couple of years. Really interesting uh, little situation here. Tyler, I'll flip it to you first. What what does that tell you about H-Town at the moment? I think that Jim Crane is being an absolute idiot. I'm not going to lie to you. I think um, Jim Crane, his ego is getting the best of him. He wants, from what I'm hearing, he wants the Astros to go less analytical and um, be more about, I guess, baseball, which is the complete antithesis of what they've done. They've built their empire on becoming the most analytically driven team in baseball, and they've absolutely killed it. Um, What do you call it? 
Click, he's going to get James Click's going to get a job within next week. Scott Powers too. I would love either of them to be the Yankee uh, part of the Yankees front office and move Brian Cashman to president of baseball operations full time. Would love that. Would make my life so much better. But I just don't really see where this is going. Maybe they go to David Stearns, who left the Brewers. Maybe they go back to Jeff Luna, which is very questionable, to say the least. But I know that um, James Click and Dusty Baker did clash a little bit toward the end about certain stuff. Like um, I know Click wanted to move Jeremy Pena out of the two-hole, and Dusty Baker did not oblige. It's little stuff. It's really stupid. And I think that the Astros... I'm sure the Astros will be fine. They're the best-run organization in baseball, and all credit to them for winning the World Series, but I think it's a really stupid move. I look at this situation, and I look around baseball, and you're right. It kind of just does reek of ego running rampant. Uh, Sebastian, I, I don't know what the Astros would want more from either Click or Powers. I mean, once you win a title, that kind of feels like the top of the metaphorical ceiling. Is there something I'm missing in terms of construction there? I mean, I guess in terms of construction, you look at the construction uh, constructed team of the Houston Astros, and most of that team was built behind Lunau. And I think you can kind of look as Click as like, you know, oh, replacement when Crane fired Lunau in 2020 when the whole cheating scandal came out. But... I think it's like, you know, Jim Crane always just finds a way to get involved in the press for, like, the wrong reasons. First, like, him firing A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau after, like, the 2020 scandal, saying he knew nothing about it, and then there's just, like, this. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a pretty bad move by Jim Crane. Like, did is James Click, like, responsible for the entire team built? Absolutely not. But, like, at the same time, he certainly did enough to which, like, you know, oh, it took the Houston Astros to the playoffs and to the World Series the past two years. So unless you see, like, a, a negative impact or a negative trend down the road, which I don't even see yet, they won 106 games this year, 100-something last year, I, I just don't see how this move makes any sense. I'll tell you one thing. Scott Powers is a name to me that is highly fascinating going forward because he spent time with some really interesting organizations, the Dodgers, the Angels, the A's. Obviously, the A's and the Angels have not had postseason success. The Dodgers, on the other hand, have. They've been around the postseason. They've been in big games for what feels like forever now. Same thing with Click now with his tenure in use. It feels like both of those guys are going to get opportunities elsewhere. Uh, it, you know, There's reports saying that Crane didn't get along well with either of these gentlemen. I think this is a shame to see that going down, especially after you win a World Series with originally the same parts as 2017, more or less. You have the core of Altuve and Brightman. Obviously, Correa not on that team. But Jeremy Pena, a guy that is fresh off the boat, new, rookie, steps up, wins the MVP. For me, this series should have at least calmed the tensions between those parties. It didn't do that. Instead, we have the offseason to look forward to everywhere now. Astros, congratulations on winning a championship. That one tastes like vinegar coming out of my mouth personally. So I guess my, my last little uh, tidbit here to talk about, about the Astros. Fashion, I'll swing to you here first. Does this legitimize anything that they've done for you? I mean, like the Houston Astros, you know, they're they're a legitimate team now. I think you know, coming coming away with the championship. I mean, it's like 
you know, I feel like this was like kind of earned and I I feel like, you know, they came out and, you know, they kind of just won. So I think, you know, it kind of just does legitimize it. And I mean, I feel like, you know, the Houston Astros are going to be built for the next years to come. So. Yeah, I mean, Tyler, to me, this is the moment where everyone kind of has to give in a little bit and say, okay, they're mm-hmm. for real. It wasn't all about the garbage cans, no matter how much everyone wants to say it wasn't. That's not saying what they did was right in 2017. Right. That is simply to say there's some real talent on this team that can't be overlooked. Absolutely. I think this – I've I've pretty much gotten over the cheating scandal completely. I don't really care. As a, Even as a Yankee fan, I think it's stupid that – to de- discredit what the Astros have built over the last eight, eight years since 2015, since they've really began that um, building that team, that powerhouse. Now we call it a borderline dynasty. They've built everything. They've overhauled the analytics system. They've hit on all of their pretty much all of their dra- high draft picks. They've gotten premium players at premium positions, and you lose guys like, for example, let's say you lose George Springer, you replace him with Kyle Tucker. You you lose Garrett Cole, you replace him with Framber Valdez, Christian Javier. You can name it. You could keep going. That pitching staff's ridiculous. Their bullpen's unbelievable. That was the clear best team in baseball, and it wasn't even close. And sure, you could say the Dodgers, but they got bounced in the second round. Um, it's really, I mean, it would be a shame to delegitimize the um, the Astros' run, and I think that they deserve all the credit that they get because they have built a powerhouse. Astros at the top of the mountain. Off season, off to a pretty cool start for the Mets over in Queens. They signed their closer, Edwin Diaz, to a five-year, $102 million contract, the richest in history for a reliever. Club announced the signing on Wednesday. Guys, there's going to be trumpets again in Queens. This feels like something they needed to do. It was reported he wanted to come back and stay with the Mets. There was that uh, press conference where he had said, well, I, I hope they come very quickly, you know. Edwin Diaz is someone that feels like he belongs with the New York Mets. Quite a nice way to get the offseason started, especially when the Mets have so many question marks going forward with the Grom and others. Nimmo, a big name that's kind of been circulating. Uh, I think this is a smart move for them because, let's be honest, when you get to that stage in the postseason, you're going to need someone that can slam the door. If you don't have that person, it can be really detrimental. We saw it with the Red Sox two years ago in their little playoff run. They didn't really have that one big bopper of a closer that could win you some games definitely. The Mets have that now in Diaz, and it's nice to see because three years ago, Mets fans were all up in arms about Diaz, and he's not the guy that we traded for. He's not producing the level we want him to. He was blowing saves left and right. Finally got his act together the last two years, and he was phenomenal in 2022. I think this is the smartest move they could have made from a bullpen perspective, at least locking up what you have. Because they didn't really make a whole lot of new acquisitions at the trade deadline at all. Givens was not the guy they wanted him to be. At the very least, you had to get Diaz and keep what you had. Absolutely. You filled the big, one of the biggest needs that the Mets have. Um, obviously, $20 million a year for five years is a lot of money, especially for a closer. It's the biggest closer contract ever, and the second biggest is a role is Chapman, and we know how that aged. But Diaz is a really good pitcher. He's probably the best reliever. Him or Emmanuel Classe are the two best closers in baseball. And he was so consistent, so dominant for the Mets this year. Yeah, I mean, 
I feel like I wouldn't be as comfortable giving this contract to Diaz if he played for any other team, but considering you're the Mets and you have Steve Cohen as your owner, money doesn't exist. You just throw all the money. Throw any amount of money you can. Throw it at a wall and hope it sticks, and I think this is the right move. Um, I'm ha- really happy for Edwin Diaz, really silencing a lot of those doubters that were around during the previous years, but he had a signature year this year, really came to his own, and, and came back to that Seattle form that one year he had and just dominated this year so i'm really happy for him in a contract year getting that bag and you know hopefully it ages well i think i'm very like indifferent about this move as i said would be scared if it was any other team but the mets i have no problems with it i mean i think it's it's a good signing from the mets because you know last couple of years maybe not last year as much but like the years before you know they had a lot of question marks in their bullpen and that, that included diaz and then diaz finally solidified the closer role this year and I think it's like now he finally like established himself in that New York atmosphere. And I think that's it's good that the Mets locked him up. So it's like, all right, coming down the stretch, we lead in the eighth inning. We have someone we know who will close games out for us. And Diaz has proven to be that guy this year. So I think it's like a good move for the Mets to sign Diaz to that contract. And he's still also like pretty young, too. He's only 28 years old right now. It'll be from his 29 to age 33 season. And, like, he could still be really effective at that time. Edwin Diaz, phenomenal last year, as we know, inspired the Trumpets to become a Queen staple. 32 saves last season, 1.31 ERA, 3.2 war. I want to get into more general off-season takes, things of that sort. But just one more point of interest about the Mets here. I, I for one, when I saw this signing wondered if it was a sign of a new philosophy in that front office pitching wise. Now, what I mean by that is there's every chance in the world that Jacob DeGrom is not pitching in Queens next season. There is a very realistic chance you're not going to have that dominant uh, rotation you thought you were going to have as Scherzer ages. Signing Diaz for as long as they did, because let's be honest, I'm not as uh, impressed by the money of this contract as I am about the, the time, personally. I think it's more intriguing that they signed him for as long as it did. Five years for a pitcher seems like a long time, especially one that, yeah, Diaz is on the younger side, but he, he is a closer. He's not guaranteed to go out there every five days and 37 innings. It's just not how uh, the position is designed to be played. So when I saw this uh, contract come up, my first thought was actually, well, are they trying to move to a more flex pitching philosophy? What I mean by that is, are they trying to replicate what the Dodgers have done, where you have maybe one or two guys who can throw you six, seven innings at the top of that bullpen, and then the rest is bullpen depth and a couple of starters who can go four or five. I mean, look at that rotation right now. If Walker Bueller's healthy, sure, that's your, your metaphorical Scherzer. He can give you seven innings. If you have someone like Gonsolin or uh, Ty- Tyler Anderson, who was very good last year for L.A., those guys can only give you four or five innings. The rest of what you're banking on is your bullpen to be really effective, and that's why L.A. struggled in the playoffs last year. They didn't have a bullpen that could really stand tall. The Mets, with everything going on now in the rotation, I mean, obviously Carrasco coming back for them, but he's not an ace at this stage of his career. Do you guys think this kind of signals a new path where they're going to focus more on loading up that bullpen because they almost acknowledge the chances of you having 
three to four aces in that rotation is very low. Well, I mean, it's like a high-risk, high-reward situation because if you kind of look at, like, you know, what, what teams have done in the past, you know, I think the Rays are the first team, you know, that started this bullpen philosophy in which, like, oh, they had the opener thing, and then, you know, they, have, they, they pitch out of the pen for a day. So, like, I mean, it's like you also, like, yeah, you want to have guys that, you know, can go four and five and be efficient, and you want to have a really good bullpen. However, it's like, like you've seen teams in the past that, like, you know, they've won 100 games with really good bullpen. Like, those bullpens, you know, they, they kind of also wear on the beginning of the year because you don't know who to pitch in, in certain scenarios because you pitch them the day before. And the I think availability is, like, the biggest question mark. And that's kind of, like, the reason why, like, you need those guys that can go six, seven plus. So, and, and you look at the teams that, you know, especially won the World Series, you know, the past three to four years they they all had those guys i mean the braves max reed uh the the astros justin verlander lance mccullers i mean he he flopped but they had framber valdez and then look at the nationals that's how they kind of won and they're starting pitching so like i think basically like come playoff time i think you really need those starters that have the ability to go six and seven i think it will work in the regular season but if you're trying to win a championship you're gonna need you're gonna need starters that can go a long time. Absolutely. Um. The key, I mean, what wins today is dominant starting pitching and having aces. Um. You saw this year a lot the resurgence of the longer outings. You saw a lot of pitchers go six or seven or eight. For example, you watch Sandy Alcantara pitch or Fran Valdez. They'd go deep into games. That's the resurgence that we didn't see last year as much. And I guess last year bullpen was more prioritized. I still think that you need a strong bullpen to win in baseball. Um, the oh, Astros, absolutely. the Astros bullpen was absolutely loaded. We saw the Phillies bullpen kind of falter because they had the they had the philosophy to me coming to the playoffs. They hit bombs. They had a lot of home runs. They pitched well. Um, their they bullpen with, just did not match the. Their Astros. bullpen only had like one reliable guy, and Sir Anthony Dominguez. Like Jose Alvarado, kind of lost it. Um, he couldn't pitch the Astros. You need depth. You need guys. You need first of all, it comes from within. You have to develop, learn to develop bullpen pitching you have to from from the ground up you have to have a philosophy and you have to have everybody buy in all the pitchers buying in and I don't think the Mets have that right now I think the Mets are really behind the eight ball in terms of developing their own pitchers and it's really it I mean I just I worry about them their bullpen long run because you need to you can't be spending a hundred million dollars on your bullpen and expecting to win anywhere else because with a you're with the luxury I guess like with other spots you're gonna be left short with of talent with if you're gonna spend that much money on the bullpen so if you're gonna if you're gonna get good bullpen you should develop it look at the Yankees how they developed their bullpen look at the Astros the Dodgers were short lacking they're lacking with the self-developed bullpen and that showed in the playoffs last year it the key today is developing bullpen. And I think the Diaz move is a great move uh, in terms of getting your guy. Obviously, I had my concern, voiced my concerns earlier. But if you're going to get your guy, you better surround him with other guys that can be as good and can close games when your team needs you to. And the Mets didn't have a single other guy than that. Maybe you could say Adam Adovino, but we know. Yankee fans know. Red Sox fans know. Adam Adovino is as unreliable as it gets. So... You need to develop other guys, and it comes from within the organization. So until the Mets really get there, I'm still going to always have concerns about that. 
A lot of work remains to be done for Uncle Stevie and those New York Mets out in Flushing. Guys, really, from a broad perspective, this offseason is highly, highly fascinating. Aaron Judge, that contract fiasco is going to play out. I don't know where he's going to end up. To me, that's going to be the storyline that carries the offseason. We could spend an entire nosebleed talking about that. It's very possible we will do an emergency nosebleed at some point if he chooses to sign rather quickly or when he chooses to sign anyway. We might end up on this pod again talking about that. But outside of Judge, and I'll even say outside of New York, is there a particular team or free agent player you have your eyes on? Um, I have my eyes on the two shortstops, actually, the two premier. I, I'm not going to count, count Bogart. Ah, Bogart kind of counts, but he's like that third guy, third off. Uh, no. <laughs> um, it's Trey Turner and Carlos Correa. Wherever they go really dictates that second huge and third huge signing of the offseason. They're both top 20 players in baseball. I think Correa had a, Correa had a really good year, even though he had a down, he had a bad start. He ended up with a 140 WRC plus at like a four, 4.5 war amazing glove as always it's carlos correa and i think he gets that long-term deal this year i don't know where he goes um my mind's kind of set on the dodgers low-key i don't know why and as for as for trey turner i think he goes to the east coast and i mean what better way to do it than go to go to philly and uh reunite with his boy bryce harper and you know fill in a spot that they need i mean segura is I guess they have Segura and Stop, but they're not Trey Turner. You go Trey Turner, and that team is right back up there with one of the best teams in baseball. So, you go Trey Turner. That's an elite leadoff hitter. You can move Schwarber to the t- Schwarber down the lineup a little bit, or you can move Trey to the two hole, and that's dangerous. I mean, I could see. I think Correa and Trey Turner are being underrated, low key, but in terms of like the hype they're getting in terms of free agency, just because Aaron Judge. But wherever they sign, that's a massive game changer right there. That's two elite players filling massive holes. Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the knob with the shortstops because I was going to pick them too, Turner and Correa. But, you know, other two free agents that I kind of find notable are, you know, two starting pitchers. One is Carlos Rodon. Uh, this is a guy who started off with the Chicago White Sox, and he turned out to be a pretty good pitcher. I mean, he wasn't he, – he, was, he wasn't – great but he, he was good enough he kind of got by and then injuries kind of derailed his career and then all of a sudden last year he, he took off on another level and then when he went to the Giants this year he was even better so this is not this is not any type of fluke anymore this is a guy with really good stuff and I think like he's one of the best starting pitchers if not the best on the market right now besides probably Jacob deGrom who's the other starting pitcher I had in mind I think Rodon will get a longer deal than Jacob deGrom just because his, just because of his age and health uh deGrom is obviously the pitcher with the best stuff out there as of right now I mean he has he wasn't able to stay healthy you know the past two years but if you look at like his stuff and his whip I believe last year his whip was 0.54 and this year his even though his ERA was a little over three he did give up some home runs toward the end of the season and struggled a bit his whip was still only 0.7 so he's not allowing any base runners he's just giving up solo home runs that you know and hitters are making a little bit of an adjustment so I think you know those are two free agents that teams will go after and that will monitor more as the offseason begins 
Wait, Colin, before you go, mind you, I'm just going to say there's this shortstop class is probably better than last year's class because there's also Bogarts and Dansby Swanson that I forgot about and probably a couple others that I forgot about. So I'm really intrigued. So my point is basically I'm intrigued to see how this shortstop class goes and who goes where. Yeah, I mean, the shortstops and the pitchers, uh, for both of your points, really do headline this year's free agent class. I myself am intrigued to see where Rodon goes, purely because I think it will be a marker for DeGrom in some senses. You'd think it would be the other way, but given DeGrom's health, I do think there's going to be a calculus done, and I do believe Rodon will go first uh, in order of those dominoes, so to speak. But, guys, I think we suffer from recency bias sometimes in sports, where we look at something and whoever is the, the shiny team or player of the week is who we give the most crap to. So right now, the Phillies, the Astros, they're all the rage. The Padres are all the rage. The team I'm looking at this offseason to make big moves, and I'm still very much on this train, on this wagon for them to win a title, is the Dodgers. Tyler, you mentioned them. To me, they are the most fascinating story because they could lose a lot of key pieces. Turner might not be a Dodger. Justin Turner, I mean, the redheaded third baseman who's been so crucial for them. Trey Turner, probably not going to be a Dodger next year. Indicators have said the Yankees are interested. The Phillies are interested. I would be very shocked if Trey Turner sticks around. So when you look at all of the names that they might miss out on, Tyler Anderson, who does not get nearly enough credit for the year he had, last season, avoided hard, hard contact, gave a low ERA, really filled in the gap once Gonsolin went down with injury and helped them uh, basically keep competitive when Bueller was out at the top of that rotation. I, I look at L.A. and I see a team that's going to make a lot of moves that are going to go under the radar, going to be small moves that uh, at the time are going to look, you know, maybe a little menial, especially now the news that Trinan could miss the entire 2023 season due to a shirt surgery. They're going to have to make some moves in the bullpen as well. To me, they're the most fascinating story entering this offseason purely because when you look at how 2022 ended, didn't end well for them. Couldn't scratch their way out of the NLDS against little brother, the Padres. But the regular season was so promising. You won 111 games. That, to me, is astounding. They didn't get nearly as much press as they deserve. The, all the rage was about other teams. Obviously, Judge was all the rage, and as he should be, with chasing that home run record, things of that sort. Philly got hot towards the end, so they got a lot of credit. San Diego, same sort of deal with the personalities on their team, and when you factor in the fact that they didn't have Tatis. The Dodgers got lost in the shuffle a little bit last year, and I think it kind of hurt them in the sense that as a unit, they may be expected to go farther than they did, and they kind of mailed it in against the Padres. I don't see that happening two years in a row. I think another year with Freeman and Betts together, offensively they're going to be a juggernaut, especially you can find a way to maintain Turner. They declined his option for the 2023 season. I would not be shocked if they could make something work. Still, honestly, I look at them. They're the team that is going to be fun to watch. I'm interested to see what the Dodgers do as well. I think that the Dodgers might just, honestly, I don't think that they'd go crazy. Obviously, I mentioned Correa to the Dodgers, but that would be like kind of a dream scenario. For, just in terms of baseball fan, I feel like that's a match made in heaven. Um, the former villain turned hero when he goes to L.A. That being said, 
I think that they really just build from within and just stack that bullpen because that's obviously the clearest weakness. I don't think they do any splashy signings right off the bat. Maybe they, they're going to definitely pursue the big guys, the big names. They're going to try to bring back Trey Turner, but we'll see how it goes. I'm not really worried about the dot like the Dodgers in terms of like long-term. I still think, obviously, they're going to be one of the best teams in baseball. But a team that I'm actually really interested to see is the Mariners. Like The Mariners made it back to the playoffs for the first time in 21 years this year. And sure, they got swept. They got killed by that, by the Astros. But, you know, to be there is so key. And to look at that core, they have one of the best young players, rookie Julio Rodriguez, like one of the best building blocks in baseball. Signed him to a 14-year deal. Could go up to 18 years. That's that's your long-term piece right there. You got J-Rod. You got a couple good young pitchers, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert. Got a lot of young talent and a very fun team around him. I could see one of the big shortstops going there. I mean, J.B. Crawford is solid at his job, but he's not elite. You get a guy like Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, maybe wants to go back to the AL West. Correa goes back, gets to play the the Astros a bunch of times every year, and I think 19 times a year. That would be really fun. I could see the... I can see the Mariners trying to go all in, kind of, and knowing that their window begins now with J. Rod as be- Julio Rodriguez being the face of their franchise. You get him, you build around him, and you surround him with other surrounding pieces, like surrounding stars. That could be really intriguing. So I could see the Mariners trying to, you know, push the push the envelope a little bit, try to spend big and get some stars in there. And and oh, they have Castillo too. They have some pieces. So if they take get some big pieces this offseason, I could see them really competing for not really the AL West title because I mean the Astros are ridiculous, but they're gonna get a wild card spot and they're gonna compete in the playoffs. It's gonna be very fun to see what the Mariners do going forward. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is like my my take. It's like I, I believe you know the Dodgers. You know, I'm not really worried about the Dodgers whatsoever. I think there are certain players that will you know you, you kind of forget in the mix like that. Like Julio Arias is in the final finalist for Cy Young. So and nobody really talks about him. And I think that you know Max Muncie next year will be better. And same with Chris Taylor. I'm not really worried about them. But I think like one team that you know will be in the mix for long playoff contention. I think. They're one or two starting pitchers away, and they're the Baltimore Orioles. Yes, sir. They're the Baltimore Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles had one of the best, nastiest bullpens I think I've seen last year after having a te- having one of the worst ones in 2021. I think this year, you know, they bring up Gunnar Henderson, and, you know, they have a bunch of young players, a bunch of young talent that, you know, they don't strike out that much. They, uh, they put the ball in play. They play great defense. They're now one of the top-ranked defensive teams in the league. So I think, you know, the Baltimore Orioles could potentially make a run next year. And a sneaky suitor for Trey Turner going back to that area, the DMV area. You know he played his ball with the Nationals earlier. Going across town to the Orioles would be very intriguing. I would love to see maybe that being a move. I would think that would put them over the top and make them true contenders. Mm-hmm. Orioles and Mariners along with the Dodgers teams to watch. Guys, we're about to wrap things up here on Noseweeds. I'm going to make one bold prediction for our final episode here. I'll ask you guys to do the same, but I'll just kick things off. I'm going to say it. I think Mr. Judge will stay in New York, ultimately. I know that is a bold thing to say, given that right now the tide is shifting towards Fisherman's Wharf out there in San Francisco. I just can't see him playing anywhere else. So I figured I will put my money where my mouth is here. 
and make that prediction for the offseason for this final episode of our beloved pod. Sebastian, kicking you first here. One bold prediction for this offseason. Um, eight years, $320 million for Judge. I can see that possibly working out unless he's worried about the years and not the uh, average annual value. Uh, that's your bold prediction, the Judge signing. My bold prediction is that the Orioles win the World Series in 2023. Ooh. That's my, that's my, that's my bold prediction. So um, I feel that, you know, non-playoff contending teams in years past, you know, they always have an ability to make the run the World Series next year because they kind of get slept on. And I think, you know, the Orioles, maybe they'll struggle in the beginning of the season, but later on in the season, I, I think, you know, they'll be a, a playoff contending team. That's dangerous. I, I love that take. I feel like that's a year or two or too early, but I love that take. I mean, I also, like, I think the, like, the last nosebleed, Nosebleeds podcast, too, I said the Phillies would win in five. Uh, I mean, but I, I said that they must, I said that that was under the contingency that they win the first two first, in Houston. Yeah. But then after I said that, if they didn't do that, Houston would win in six and Houston won in six. So there we go. Yeah. A little, a little backup plan, a little yeah. safety. Yeah. I guess my bold prediction. Um, yeah. Colin, I agree with you. Aaron judge will resign in New York. I'm pretty confident in that, um, as I just said, the two short stops, uh, that the two big name ones, correct. Carlos Correa and Trey Turner, they will go either one of two ways, and they're going to go to either the Mariners or the Orioles. You can choose which one goes where. I'm going to go with Correa going to the Mariners and Trey Turner going to the Orioles, and both teams becoming true contenders via getting those superstars. Whew. A lot of predictions going on here. Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk some baseball here with you, offseason baseball specifically. Looking forward to talking to you both again as the new season will start up in a few months. That is going to do it for this edition of the Nosebleeds podcast. Along with Tyler Hugh and Sebastian Seabach, I'm Colin Lochran saying so long. Nosebleeds, the production of WFUV Sports. <laughs>